Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, family, this morning, as we get ready for the preached word, um, as I was thinking about what to say in times like this, it's it's times like this where panicking starts happening, fear starts happening, and we, we start putting our trust in all different types of places and people and things, and we, we, we lack our trust in Jesus. And the first thing that's thrown out the window was peace. It's pandemonium in our lives, not just outside, but we, we're starting to try to find peace. So we run after this thing or we run after that thing, and we forget that our peace and our fulfillment is only found in Jesus. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. And there was a sermon I preached in the fall where we talked about this very topic and talking about peace in the middle of our storms and the fact that it's not just peace in the middle of our storms, but there's a deeper inner peace that's found in Jesus, this peace between us and God because of what he did on the cross for us. And I want you to be reminded of that during this season. I, that's where I have sat and I'm continually sitting in the midst of the season of coronavirus and the things that are going on in our nation. And I pray that same thing for you. I want you to trust in God and know that your peace and all your satisfaction and fulfillment is found in him. Let's take a listen right now together. When you hear the word peace, what do you think about? You don't have to answer out loud. See, peace in our society has been used in many different ways. We can say peace or chuck the deuces to somebody as a means to say goodbye. We can say peace be with you or go in peace as as a means of wishing someone having a peaceful day. Or we can say like Miss America, I desire to have peace on earth. Because we want to see all the violence and the corruption go away. We want to see that. Or we can say, God, please just give me some peace because we yearn to have a sense of normality in our lives. As you can see, we we use peace, so we have used this word in so many different ways. And because of this, if I'm honest with you, I had a hard time with this one because I struggle to see a whole bunch of peace in our world today. Anybody else struggle with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you turn on the news you, you, or social media, you don't hear about peace. You, you don't see peace. We hear about turmoil. We hear about wars. We hear about hatred, corruption, and murder. We don't hear about peace. See, true peacemaking or, or peace, if you want to say, it's hard to come by in today's society, but yet there's a piece of us that yearns to see true peace. There's a part of us that yearns to see peace in our lives. There's a part of us that yearns to see true peace in other people's lives. But see, therein lies the problem, and I may step on some toes with this one, but I would venture to say that because of all the pain and the suffering that we see in our world, combined with the individualism of America, there's a lack of true peacemaking. There's a lack of true peace in our lives. And what happens is that now peace is about self-love. Ooh. Uh, 
See, it's about finding inner peace where now peace has only become about the individual and excuse me, but that's a sorry substitute for true peace or true peacemaking. You know why? Because here's the reality. While the individual may have some type of peace or the facade of peace, there's a hurting and dying world outside your front door. So that's not true peace because if I step, step outside the door, I see hell all around me. So if peace is just in my inner being, I have to rehearse to myself, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Or we say, as I learned this word from my brother, Damon, I told y'all this, you a vibe. I don't want to be around you. And see, what we're really saying is that you're messing up my space right now. I, I don't need that vibe in my life. But see, the reality that that's hard for us to face, that we don't face on a day-to-day -day basis, is that this world and everything around us is not really getting any better. The earth is passing away. And until Jesus comes back, the new heaven and new earth aren't here yet. It's not coming. It's not here yet. So it's not getting better. So there's always going to be those so-called vibes around us. There's always going to be problems and turmoil around us. But hear me, though. I'm not against you finding inner peace. I'm not, I'm not against you loving yourself. It's okay to love yourself. It's what you do with that love. Are you loving others with that love? I mean, it's okay to love yourself. But my question is, what's your source? What's your source? Because if that source is you, that's too low of a standard. That doesn't work because we move and we change like the wind. And in order for us to have true peace, y'all, we got to depend on someone who does not change, who's not fickle in their ways, who's stable. And the only one that I know that's like that is Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Family, hear me, true peace comes from God. It doesn't come from me, it does not come from you. So the slogan, it shouldn't be self-love, it should be love God. Because if you love God, then you'll not only know how to love yourself, but the scripture lets us know that in him we'll find our true peace. But let me ask you, where is it that you find your peace? When you hear the word peace, again, what do you think about? Where does your mind go? Where do you run? I want you to ponder those questions as we walk through the text. This text today in chapter 5 begins with this ringing affirmation of the objective legal standing of the Christian, that the Christian through faith in Christ has been justified or declared righteous in God's sight once and for all. See, the result of this is that the Christian no longer lives under the fear of judgment and the wrath of God, but has peace with God. Now, hear me, this is not merely a subjective feeling this is an objective reality. Now, some of y'all may miss that, may have missed that, so let me break it down again. Peace is not just merely a feeling. But for the Christian, it's a reality that we live in. Now, what does that mean? 
Does that mean that I could be like Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz and just click my heels together and dream of a better place and I'll go there? No, that ain't what that means. It means that my visual reality and everything around me may look like hell, but there's a peace that surpasses my understanding that I have in God regardless of my circumstances. So when, when, when I lose my job out of the blue, I'm not expecting it, I can still praise God because my identity wasn't in my job, but it's in Christ. When I lose that relationship or it's broken, my world doesn't have to turn upside down because my relationship with Jesus still exists. Uh, but but, but here's, here's another one, because I mean, some of y'all not with that one. When I dabble in that activity that I know I shouldn't be in, when I do that one thing that I know does not please the Lord, I may feel some shame, but I don't stay in my shame because my activity is not my identity, but yet I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. Now, family, this may be a bit confusing to some because, hear me, this peace is not something where if you live right or you do right, you're going to achieve it. This is a peace that's not warranted because of your works, but it's graciously given to the believer because of what Christ has done, someone else's work. And with that, I would argue, here's, here it is, I don't want you to miss it. The person that's dealing with a peace problem. The person that's, that's feeling like they don't have peace, I would argue that they don't really have a peace problem. They have a faith problem. Mm. They have a faith problem. I know this because when I look at this text, it begins in verse 1 with, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of y'all missed that, so let me say it again. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. So hear me. We can't talk about peace unless we talk about faith. But there lies the problem because some of us have misplaced our faith. We've placed it in something or someone else that is not stable. So here's the problem. Now our peace is affected. Y'all missed that. So let me put it this way. My Bible thumpers in here. How many of y'all remember Matthew chapter 8 when uh, Jesus is sleeping through the storm? Jesus is knocked out in the boat, y'all. The storm, torrential winds all around him. See, Galilee is crazy. And Jesus got that drool sleep. Ah, you know, just, just knocked out. Boat swamped by waves. He's knocked out. I don't think y'all get it. He's, he, you can't sleep in a storm like this and not be really gone to the world. He is knocked out. The text tells us that, that the disciples are, are, are frantic. They're going crazy right now. The boat is, the waves, I mean, could you picture this little boat out in the middle of the sea? And, and it's swamped by waves over and over again. The wind is crazy. These disciples are going crazy, probably grabbing every bucket, whatever they have, throwing water out of the boat. They're getting rid of all the extra weight. They're trying to, to make it. But y'all, Jesus is asleep. He's chilling. Got his pillow cuddled up in the corner. He's knocked out. And you ask, well, how in the world does someone sleep in a storm like that? How, how do you do that? Well, Jesus answers the question. He, when they wake him up, verses 26 and 27, look at it with me. 
He says to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. He didn't say, y'all good? Y'all good? Are you okay? He said, you of little faith, why, why are you afraid? Then he wakes up and says, he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and therefore it was a great calm. And the men marveled and said, what sort of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Family, Jesus was able to stay calm because he, his trust was in God or himself as being God. And he displays that in the text because he gets up and he says, wind, chill out. See, does the sea calm down? He calms the wind and the sea. Only God can do that. But the disciples, on the other hand, this is where we come into play, right? They don't really have faith. In fact, the text says that they start marveling at Jesus and say, what kind of man is this that he can calm the wind and the sea? See, what we're failing to notice here, and I love this when you read the context of the scripture, what we fail to notice is that most of the disciples in the boat with Jesus, I don't want y'all to miss this, follow me. At the time, they're, they're, they're fishermen. This is why this is important, because I'm pretty sure that they're very confident in their boating or sailing skills. They're confident in this. So when they see the storm on the horizon, they see it coming. They know it's coming because they know how the wind works. They know how the water starts moving because they're fishermen. So when they see the wind coming, they see the storm coming, they start doing what they know how to do best. They start getting the sails adjusted just right. We got to get the wind to hit it this way or it's going to mess up the boat. They start bringing in the nets. They start doing what they knew know best to get ready for the storm. They start rowing towards the shore. They start doing all the things they know how to do best in their ability. Some of y'all are following me. Some of y'all are missing it. Don't miss it. They don't turn to Jesus and say, hey, there's a storm out there, God. What do we need to do right now? No, no. They turn inward to themselves and say, what can we do? See, instead of turning to Jesus, they wait until the storm is beyond their control, until it's beyond their power, and they turn to Jesus and say, fix it, master. Jesus, we can't do it. See, and some of us may have caught that, but that's our issue too. We don't trust Jesus until the situation or the problem in our lives is out of our control or it's out of our power. Fix it, Jesus. I can't do it. Hear me many times. We don't have peace because our faith is misplaced. And commonly, it's in our own ability. So we lack the peace of being able to sleep through a storm because we're too busy trusting ourselves, throwing that figurative water out of the boat of our life before we come to Jesus. We act just like the disciples. Fix it, Jesus. Let me, let me get rid of this relationship first. Let, let, let me stop doing this addiction. Let me stop doing this or that. Let me make this amount of money. Let me do this. I can do this. I can do that. I got it, Jesus. Instead of putting our faith in him first. We put it in ourselves. We put it in something else to give us the satisfaction that we need until it fails us miserably. And then we run to God looking for the peace he had all along. But the storm has already overtaken us. Fix it. Let me ask you, though. What if we came to Jesus on the front end? 
What if we didn't wait until our world turned upside down to come to Jesus? What if we realized that although I have these talents, I have these skills, but none of that levels up to God? What if we realized that our sin-stained selves wouldn't even be here if it were not for Jesus? Let me ask you, y'all, how much different would our lives be? How much more peace would we have? See, family, we, we don't have a peace problem. We got a faith problem. You see, our peace hinges on us having faith in the right person. See, because when you have your faith in the right person, the storms of life can come and go, beating and maybe bruising you along the way. But you're able to keep on going undisturbed because your faith is in an almighty God who, guess what, can make the storm cease. Faith is believing in God and his word and his promises. And Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us the outcome of that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Which means that although things around you may be crazy, all these things around you may be going haywire, to have faith is to believe that, uh, in a God who's bigger and better than your circumstances, so now you can praise him in the good times and in the bad times. But hold up, pastor. Wait a second. Aren't we talking about peace here? I, I just heard you say good times and the bad times. I heard you talk about the storms of life. Wait a second. That ain't peaceful. Pastor D, I love your preaching. This is some of y'all think. I, I come to this church. I love it. I love it. I love it. I listen online, all that good stuff when I'm not here. But wait a second. That doesn't sound like peace. I'm not really looking forward to having a storm in my life and call it peace. I don't want the trials. I just want peace. But this brings us back to the beginning of the passage because we got to answer the question, well, what, what's this peace that the text is talking about? Well, look at the text with me. The text says peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The key words here is peace with God. I mentioned in the beginning, but this peace with God involves this legal standing. It involves a, us being seen as righteous in God's eyes because Jesus has paid our sin debt. Now, what do I mean with this? Let's break this down a bit. You flip back to Romans 1. You, you read a little bit through Romans. Romans 1, Paul starts off saying that we've turned away from God. We've now worshiped the creation versus the creator. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Essentially, what he's saying is that as a people, we've chosen to live our lives the way we want to live them instead of glorifying God with our life. We innately or internally, not just outwardly, we rebel against the good things of God and we turn to the things that we think are good. We turn to the things that we think are good for ourselves. We run after those things instead of after God. We all do it. We've sinned against God. We, we've missed the mark. 
We've not measured up to this mark of holiness. And instead of us being humble enough to say, God, this isn't me, I've messed up, I've sinned. Romans 1 tells us that some of us continue to rebel against God. And don't shake your head at the people outside these doors because here's the reality, we all were there once. We all rebelled against God. We all did what was sinful in his sight. Some of us still are messing up. We missed that mark. Now some of y'all are like, nah, nah, Pastor B, I grew up in church. I went to Sunday school. I was in church all day long. I love me some Jesus. Romans 3 tells us that there are none righteous. Not even one. Then it goes on to say, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have met that mark. None of us have been like God. I know you're probably saying, but I don't do wrong. I'm a good person, y'all. I like to think of myself as a good person too. I know this is tough. As you keep reading down in Romans chapter five, it breaks it down a little bit more. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, talking about Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. This has nothing to do with what you do. We're born into this. See, see, family, what I'm trying to get at is that there is this sin debt. There is a cost. And because of that, there's this gap or chasm between us and God because God is holy without sin. And regardless of how great we think we are, we're not like him. We're sinful. So now there's a gap between us and God. And the problem with this is that God is not only sinless. God can't stand sin. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So don't miss this. In order for death to not be our outcome because we sinned, there had to be a payment for those wages. The sin wages, there had to be a payment. There has to be someone that pays that. Now, this is not a payment that can be made by works or money. It's a payment that had to be paid by blood. And not just any blood. This blood had to be untainted. This blood had to be without blemishes. This blood had to be without sin. So hear me, don't miss this. Although God can't stand sin, although God has no sin within him, y'all hear me, don't miss this. He still loves his creation enough to send his son Jesus Christ in the flesh to die for us on the cross and pay for the sins of the world. Jesus comes, he lives the death, lives the life that we're supposed to live. And he dies the death that we should have died on the cross, paying once and for all for sin and death. He takes it to the grave once and for all. He makes that pathway of fellowship with us between God open again. And if one believes, family, not only is there fellowship between God, but there's reconciliation. There's true peace now between man and God. Y'all hear me? There was no peace between man and God unless someone died. We would not be here today unless Jesus died. Someone had to die. And the only person that fit the bill was Jesus. He had to die. But some of y'all still missing this. So let me put it this way. True story. Way back in 1937. And there was this Mississippi rail bridge operator. His name was John Griffith. 
He took his son to work with him one day. His son's name was Greg. Greg is about eight years old. He was interested in what his dad did for work, so he took him to to work one day. And John has his son Greg in the office, and Greg is roaming around like eight-year-olds do, very inquisitive, asking all these questions. He's poking at buttons. What does this do, Daddy? What, What does this do? And John just further breaks down his job to his son, and he starts telling him about what he does. He says, this bridge right here stands over the great Mississippi River. And what happens, son, is that every time the ship comes, I have to raise the drawbridge for the ship to pass through, but I have to put it back down because the trains actually travel across these tracks. So John's explaining all of this to Greg, and then he sees him do it throughout the day over and over again. However, late in the day, John is in the office again, and he pulls the lever Let's the bridge up because the ship needs to pass. He's doing his job. The ship starts passing. But then he starts looking around frantically. Where's my son? He can't find his son. And then he looks out the window, peers out the window, and he sees his son now climbing on the gears of the drawbridge. He runs outside, hey Greg, come back. He's yelling at his son, but his son cannot hear him because now the the fast-moving passenger train, the Memphis Express, is coming. So with the noise from the now-clearing ship and the Memphis Express train, Greg can't hear his dad yelling at him. So now, with seconds left, John has to make the decision, the unfathomable decision right now. He has to choose whether to let the bridge down so that the people on the train won't die But here's the problem. Because his son is caught in the gears, if he lets the bridge down, he's going to crush his son. Someone has to die. The question is, what do you do in this moment? If you're a parent in here, what do you do? Do you let the bridge down so the 400 people can get across in this train? Or do you kill your son? As a sacrifice for them. John, stuck in this dilemma, makes the unfathomable decision. He lets the bridge down and he crushes his son. The story goes that the train passes by and John can look up and he sees the people through the windows, some smiling some reading, some even waving at him. All of them oblivious to the sacrifice that had just been made for them. John starts to cry and yell out, don't you understand that my son has been sacrificed for you? And family, here's the sad thing about it. Many of us we're just like the passengers on that train. We're just riding by in life, missing the goodness of God. We just keep on living our lives. We're just riding this figurative train, missing the peace of God. And here's the crazy thing about it is that we keep on going on about our lives, trying to find peace in this thing, this person, this place. And all the while, Jesus has already died. 
And God, just like John, is sitting saying, don't you understand that my son just died for you? You have a life because Jesus died. We're here because he died. He's risen from the grave on our behalf. And if we believe, we have peace with God. But I know, well, I only got one amen, is that some of us are sitting there saying, but that ain't, I don't see the peace. I'm still in turmoil. I still have trouble in my life. I still have storms hitting me. Hear me? Peace with God does not mean that you won't have trouble in your life. Peace with God does not mean that you won't have issues and problems. You will have trouble. Things will come and go. They will hurt. The problems will happen. But peace with God means that you will not have to suffer the consequences for your sin. And y'all, there's no peace that's greater than that. This means that when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes on the wrath of God for our sins, for our wrongdoing, which means that you will never, if you believe, have to experience the pain and suffering for your own sin. Jesus already took it. See, that's a peace that, 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 that's, under, that's not understandable because we will never have to experience it if we believe. The excruciating pain of somebody getting whipped with cat and nine tails, flesh ripped off your body, crown of thrones on your head, being beat to a pole and then hanging for the sins of the world, nails in your hand, nails in your feet, blood dripping from your body. For us, if we believe we have peace now and we don't have to experience that. So hear me family, this means that although problems may occur on your job or things may not be going right in your life, as a believer you have peace with God that surpasses understanding. This is why Advent is such a beautiful time of year. This is why Advent is such an amazing time to just sit and think about the goodness of our Savior. What he's done for us. The fact that Christ died and now because of that, we have peace with God. So hear me, your year may have felt like a mess. I mean, 2019 is not one you want to remember. But yet instead of dwelling on the mess, remember what Christ did for you. This last week or the last couple weeks may have been a mess for you. It was for me. And I had to constantly remind myself over and over again, remember what Christ did for you. All this mess is happening, but there's a peace still. Some of you may have walked in here and you're saying, man, there's a storm on my horizon. I see the mess coming. I know it's brewing. Holiday season, it's coming. I see it. Instead of dwelling on the mess coming, remember what Christ did for you. And see, in remembering what Christ has done for you. Now you can praise him in the good and in the bad. Family, let's not get caught riding on that train. Just passing by and miss the goodness of God. Remember during this season that our true peace comes from what Jesus has done on our behalf. That's where we have peace, peace with God. Let's pray. Father God, you're awesome. You're a good God. 
We thank you for a peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you for what you've done on our behalf. God, I pray that during this season, we wouldn't walk and do just what we feel or what we want to do. God, I pray that we just slow down and we sit in awe and be thankful for your sacrifice, Jesus. Some of us feel like we're getting hit from all different angles with problems and feelings and all these different things. And we need you, Jesus. But God, I pray that we wouldn't be like the disciples in the boat running around frantic, but instead let's just come to you and trust that you are God that can make this storm cease in our life. In you, we find our true peace. Not in us, not in a place, but in you. So Father, let us stay there. If there's someone in here that doesn't know you, God, I pray right now, even through the words that were spoken, that you would just intercede and you would enter their hearts so where they would call out to you, Jesus, knowing you're all that they need and everything they need is found in you. Father, as we enter a time of communion, I pray that we would do just as we say each week and remember your sacrifice. That you're a good, good father. You gave it all up for us. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.